Well, hello, and happy Sunday morning. This is the PFG Live, but then again, you knew that. And we're just waiting for uh, more check-ins, but it is 1 o'clock on the East Coast on Sunday in the great state of New Hampshire, despite the fact that this is Central Jersey. How you doing, Chris? What is the latest? Hey, Kevin's here. Welcome aboard, sir. Mr. Stevens, welcome. Everything seems to be uh, functioning. So, uh, as you know from the title and the previous warnings, um, we're going to be talking a little bit about thermal issues in the shop, especially with respect to grinding and other precision endeavors. So, not a ton, not a ton on the docket to talk about. But as usual, whenever we don't have much to talk about, we end up uh, going overtime. Chris is doing some honeydew crap and then some fusion and printing work before a Christmas party. A Christmas party? Oh my gosh, we're, we're getting started. Excuse me, we're getting started early here. But I guess if you have a lot of Christmas parties, you have to start early. The control panel looks good. We have a tiny bit of encoding lag, which is to be expected on this computer. Plus, I'm monitoring on YouTube, which I really don't have to. I think I'm going to kill that window. Yeah. And, uh, and we got the grinder warming up. So the good news on the, uh, on the PFG stone front is that it looks like the logjam of back orders for raw materials has been solved. And I, I got my big order. Uh, so we're all caught up. Uh, there's one order waiting for a bevel, which is going to probably happen right after we're done here. What's up, Mr. K. Bonk? Welcome aboard, sir. <laughs> it's all about the power. It's all about the power. I'm power hungry. It's true. So, uh, excellent. So today, uh, if you did your homework, you will have uh, looked up the coefficient of thermal expansion for steel and cast iron and aluminum I didn't but we have we have one number that's important to us today which I want to share with you and we'll talk about why it's important um, and we'll also talk about uh, my heaters I got a second heater today from the Amazon from the uh, the river uh, and that is now installed on the coolant tank and it is putting its therms into my 30 gallons of mostly water. So uh, that'll be a very interesting thing. Ah, the heater just turned off. So I ran my checklist. We, are, we have confirmed live, and you guys are getting good audio, right? So the, um, the topic du jour is thermals, and I was, uh, I was pretty surprised at some of the results I got, and I posted as such uh, over the week. Uh, for some reason, I hadn't, I hadn't internalized that these numbers were so different, uh, and, uh, and we'll get into that. There's a, there's a term of art called specific heat. And I have a, I have a bone to pick with, the, with the, the technical term specific. Because <laughs> it always tells you that it's specific, but it doesn't tell you what it's specific about. Hey, Bart, thank you. And good morning. Or actually, good afternoon. It's morning somewhere. Um, so what we're talking about is mass-specific heat. So if you have uh, a certain amount of mass and a certain amount of heat, that's what we're talking about. So specific, specific heat or mass-specific heat is the energy required 
to raise one gram of water, one degree centigrade, and it is measured in joules, J-O-U-L-E-S, and that's a measure of energy. So how much energy does it take to change one gram of substance, one degree C? And this is important to us because we have these machines that are, you know, big and heavy and thermally stable, and um, they change size when they change temperature. So we care about that. So I, I, I went on an endeavor of how do I control the temperature in my untemperature controlled shop? Uh, a little bit, not going crazy. We're not looking, you know, down in the uh, ten millionths of an inch, but we are interested in improving uh, thermal behavior, especially in the grinder. Why? Because in the grinder, we care about ten thousandths of an inch, and you do start to see thermal effects down there. Now, when I'm grinding stuff flat, and I I grind a lot of stuff flat, um, you don't care as much about the absolute temperature because you're not grinding to a, uh, a dimension. You're grinding to flatness. So we don't chase the thermals as much. But I have uh, projects on the agenda which are grind to size and grind to size in the fourth decimal place. So we want to get control of that hey brian welcome aboard happy uh happy sunday good afternoon so i started looking down this path and um and figuring out how i can heat up my uh my coolant so if we look at the specific heat of um of cast iron okay it has a coefficient of thermal expansion of, which is not specific heat. Coefficient of thermal expansion is how much, how much a thing changes size with one degree C. So we have two terms of art. Specific heat, which is how much energy it takes to change the temperature of the thing. And then we have co coefficient of thermal expansion, or sometimes it's called CTE, which is how does it change size with one degree change in temperature? Hey, Robert, welcome aboard. Uh, Bob Labs, nice to see you. So here's a, here's a number to stick in the back of your head. For cast iron, and steel isn't that far away, but for cast iron, it is 6 times 10 to the minus 6th, or 6 millionths of an inch per inch per degree Fahrenheit. Sorry, I looked my stuff up in Fahrenheit. So uh, that means if you make a 10 degree change of temperature in a piece of cast iron, which is not hard to do, uh, as I have learned, it is going to move 60 millionths of an inch per inch. And if you have 10 inches to worry about, that's 600 hundred millionths of an inch which sounds a lot like six tenths okay so a 10 degree change over a 10 inch span of cast iron is good for six tenths change in size now we'll see why that's important in a second so that's coefficient of thermal expansion specific heat I'm not going to give you the exact numbers, but I will tell you that the specific heat of water is 10 times higher than the specific heat of cast iron. In other words, if I have a chunk of cast iron and I want to change its temperature one degree, I have to put a certain amount of energy into it. If I have the same volume of water and I want to change the temperature one degree, I have to put in 10 times more energy to move it. So the reason we care about that is we walk into a cold shop, and this shop is kept cold, okay? Uh, my safety temperature in here is 50 degrees. So at 50 degrees, the thermostat will, if, if it drops below 50, the thermostat will kick in and the, the heat will come on. But basically, it keeps it at 50. Sometimes you'll see them at 45 degrees. So this week, for example, the shop absolutely got to 50 degrees. Uh, and it's pretty chilly. 
So I like to bring it up to 68 degrees. So now I'm asking my environment and everything in it to change by uh, 18 degrees Fahrenheit. So the, as I heat up the shop and the, and the air blows around, I do circulate it pretty well. The, the grinder is made of cast iron. It's going to start warming up. But, but the 30 gallons of coolant takes 10 times more energy to warm it up, and it stays cold. So why is this? Or how does this affect us? So if I'm blasting coolant on my work, and remember, the work is also made of metal, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to change its temperature quickly, low specific heat, um, and I grind it, right? While, sorry about that. I grind it while it's cold because the cold coolant is blowing on it, and then I stop. It's, it's, it's not the same size as it's going to be in a couple of minutes when it warms up. How do we deal with that? So we want the grinder to be a certain temperature, call it 68 degrees or 20 degrees Celsius, okay? 68 Fahrenheit, 20 Celsius. We want the grinder that temperature, the coolant that temperature, the work that temperature. And now things are not moving around. But the hard part's the coolant. So I bought a... Um, so I, I, I communicated with uh, Adam Demuth Thermal bank. <laughs> yes, I would like to invest in a thermal bank. Actually, it feels like all of these things that I've been buying are, are going right into somebody else's thermal bank. I bought a uh, temperature controller. Plug and play, it says right there. Temperature controller. This is an ink bird. I bet you can't guess where that's made. And that has uh, a 1,000 watt capacity. Uh, 10 amps, which is call it a thousand watts. 10 amp capacity. It has two uh, outlets on it, so they, it has a little pigtail with two outlets. And I bought one. I can't show it to you because it's it's here. I'll show you some pictures in a second. But I bought one of these heat magnets, which is a which is a um, wrong side 200 watt heater, and I slammed it on the side of the coolant tank near the bottom at the center and I said let's see what happens so over this week I observed that that heater was worth five degrees rise in the coolant tank so when the shop was 50 the coolant was now 55 which is better it's not where we want it to be but it's better and um, uh, we have a piece of foam insulation under the coolant tank we have the 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 foil um what do you call it the bubble the bubble uh, wrap with foil coating around the, the uh, sides of the coolant tank and it was worth five degrees so i bought a second one of these and i just put it in this morning and so now we have 400 watts on the side of the tank now i know what you're thinking especially if your name's adam and i'm not going to tell you which adam uh you're thinking, well, why don't you get one of the immersion heaters? It's going to be more efficient. Because I want to try this first. That's the, sh the short answer is because I want to try this first. Um, and then maybe we'll go on to an immersion heater. I know there are immersion heaters available up to like 1,500 watts. I'm kind of creeping up on the problem because I don't want to put a lot of uh, electrical energy into this. I want to put just enough electrical energy into this. So we got the two heaters on there. And I'm about to do some work today. So the interesting question is, uh, can I get the coolant up to temperature uh, between those two heaters and the use of the coolant in the, in the grinder? Is everything going to stabilize? It's certainly going to stabilize better. And that's what we're aiming for. So that's the current uh, project. And uh, I'll show you some pictures in a minute. And that's going pretty well. So let, let, let's, um, well, let's bring the pictures up right now, and I'll show you what it looks like, this uh, very complicated installation. <laughs> so uh, let's see, where am I? I need my, uh, yeah, 
So here's the um, here's a picture of the controller. Uh, you can see it's set for 68. It was at that time it was 55. That is the coolant temperature. So the con the controller has a, a thermocouple that gets tossed into the the drink, and and let's see. It's it's going to be hard for me to see chat and switch this at the same time. I also have a thermocouple on the... Oh, hi, Henry. Welcome aboard. Um, I have a thermocouple, a dual thermocouple on the grinder itself. So there's two spots, one on the column, one on the base. They actually agree uh, uh, remarkably well. Uh, and this was, uh, this was from the other day. Don't read too much into the numbers you're seeing here. And I had started with a, another thermocouple, a third one that was in the coolant tank. And again... Uh, this is a picture. Now, this is interesting because this picture is showing the coolant tank at 65 degrees. So this was after a grinding session of, of several hours. The coolant came up to 65. Okay. Still not uh, what the room temperature was set for, but pretty, pretty close. It was by no means uh, stabilized. Okay. It was still going. So this was the big shocker, is I took the, um, I took the infrared thermometer and I measured the floor. And I think I, I, I think I mentioned this last week. I was surprised that the floor was as warm as it was. So it was reading 63, even though uh, it's, the, it's a concrete floor. So that's sort of the scenario. And of course the room Here's, um, let's see, I don't know when this was, but this is what it looks like. You can see uh, in the upper right corner, you can see the, the heater magnet attached to the side of the coolant tank. The, the magnet above it is just holding on the wrap, and then you can see the, the uh, controller is on. So when I walked into the shop this morning, this is what the thermostat tells me. So the thermostat says... <laughs> it's cold. So it was, it was literally 50, 50 degrees Fahrenheit in the shop when we started this morning. Okay, so here's the problem. Okay. This is a shot, obviously, the side of the grinder. And you can see that you've got the, um, the motor, the spindle, and the wheel along the top. Then you have the column coming down. And then it goes into the base, and then the table comes up with the saddle up to the chuck. So if you measured, let's leave the wheel out of this for the moment, but if you measured from the spindle housing down to, um, let's say the table, uh, I'm not sure how I want to address the chuck, and you ask, what is that distance? That distance is going to grow and shrink with temperature. I mean, everything else is going to grow and shrink, but we don't care about that right now. We just care about the, the vertical growth, and that's what's going to affect uh, dimensions. And that's where, our, uh, that's where our coefficient of thermal expansion comes in. So what I've been learning is that the, the grinder column and the grinder base comes up to temperature pretty nicely as the room temperature comes up, and it's the coolant uh, that we need to, to get going. So if we have, again, if we, let's review the numbers. Ten, if we have 10 inches of cast iron, and we change that cast iron by 10 degrees Fahrenheit, which you can see from 50 degrees to 60 degrees, it's going to move six tenths, or six ten thousandths of an inch. Uh, you know, over that over that temperature change, and this is what we're trying to fight. So uh, if you guys have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. I don't have a lot of data yet because I haven't lived with this for enough weeks. But today will be the first time where I'll be grinding with both heaters on the tank. And I'll be able to observe uh, if we ever hit the set point of 68 degrees. You can also hear in the background the heat cycling. So the room has not yet settled to 68 degrees. That's because I just turned on the heat. So when you see pictures of these, 
highly temperature controlled rooms like for inspection or even for precision grinding, especially if you go back into the, the Moore book, uh, Fundamentals of, uh, of Precision, and you see their, their precision grinding rooms, now you're starting to understand why this stuff's important and why you have to get a, get a handle on it if you're working in those, uh, in those tiny dimensions. And it is not trivial. Now, one of the things that I am sort of a little confused by is when I see people grinding and they just have a teeny dribble of coolant uh, that never gets into the grinding area directly, which of course, you know, I'm a big fan of, of, of shooting the coolant right, right to the, the site of the action. Um, so they're just, trying to, they're just trying to get coolant onto the thing control temperature they're not they're not getting it right to the the point of the grind and I, I'd like to hear more from people who have a lot of experience as to what their thoughts are in doing that in grinding stones um, I think it's really important to get the swarf out and it doesn't move quickly so we use lots of coolant Chris asks can you place an indicator on top of the column to see what the actual growth is over time and temperature. Rather, why don't you? Your audience demands it. Wow. Seeing as Chris is generally most of my audience, I might take you up on that. So there's a couple of ways to do that. Um, all you really have to do is put an indicator on the, on the wheel housing, indicate off the chuck, and just start from cold and just you know bring the thing up to temperature and watch what happens that's a pretty good experiment i like it yeah i do like it another thing you can do is you can compare that measurement well that's that, that's a pretty good way to go you're on i'll figure out a time when i can do that so the the experiment i think would go like this would go you know, put put a tenths reading or better. I have some more sensitive instruments. Uh, uh, indicator, hang it off of the the wheel housing or the spindle housing. Touch the chuck. <laughs> Chris says, "See, your audience is brilliant. That's why I'm here. I bet you think, yeah, no, I, I'm the audience. I'm watching you. Uh, touch the chuck. Leave everything cold." Right, so my shop will, will be at 50 degrees. Take the measurement. I'll put a camera on it. Oh, wait, this is even better. I'll put a camera on it and a thermometer on it. Yeah, I like this. And then fire up, just fire up the room temperature and just heat up the shop and watch what happens. So what would we expect if we had um, 50, well, we'd have more than if we, we could set it up to be 10 inches uh, easily we'd have 18 degrees so we'd have almost double we'd have almost oh, we, we should have a thousandth of an inch we should see a thousandth of an inch change from 50 degrees to 68 degrees that's easy to measure um, I have not contacted Okamoto uh, but generally speaking, st standard temperature in lab environments is often, I have to be really, <laughs> I have to be very diplomatic about this, is often 20 degrees Celsius, which is 68 degrees. So I didn't pick that by accident. Uh, I know that there are some environments where that varies. Brian says, are drafts a problem with the experiment? Yes, of course. Uh, so some of you have correctly pointed out, I got a, which shoulder is it over? It's over this shoulder, that I have a, I have a fan here. So I, I have intentional circulation around the shop to try to um, even out the shop uh, and not have drafts. You'll also see that I have a door, uh, you know, I have, I have a garage door right next to it. So there, there is a possibility that that is going to influence the measurement. But 
it's a real measurement, right? It's a real situation. Let's, re let's, let's measure, instead of setting up a very careful, contrived situation, let's just measure the real situation, see what happens. I, I, I'll be very interested to see that. Okay, I will take that as homework from my brilliant audience. I mean that from the cockles of my heart. I have no idea what a cockle is. Um, we're going to do the temperature experiment. I'll probably do it midweek coming up because I think I'll, uh, I'll finish my shop work. I got to get back to client work tomorrow uh, up in the office. And then by maybe Tuesday morning, I can start uh, this experiment. And that'll be really quite interesting. Um, if, I, if I could be super clever and, and put, the, uh, put the thermometer and the indicator live on the net, I will let you know. <laughs> but I, don't know if, I don't know if I could pull that off. Okay, so any other questions on this? This is like, uh, th this has been a very interesting research topic or shop research topic. And I'm trying to be practical about it and not go crazy. Um, you know, I could put, I could start putting insulation over the doors and I could start putting, you know, little isolation walls around the grinder. That's not happening. Chris, Chris defines cockles as the core of one's beings, of one's being. Do you, um, so Chris, do, do you eat the heart? You know what I'm talking about. Because when I was growing up with uh, my dad, uh, who loved hunting, and we would go deer hunting, uh, we would get the first thing that would we'd eat is the heart with onions. It's kind of a weird thing to say. All right, so... Uh, there you go. That was the thermal, uh, thermal experiment underway. And we will continue that. What are you guys up to in the shop? And what problems can we solve while we have the hive mind here? Chris says he doesn't eat the innards. Yep. I'm just asking. I'm not judging. And actually, I haven't had, I haven't had venison in quite a while because we cleaned out the freezer and, uh, and I'm not hunting right now, so. I was, uh, I was very uh, happy to see uh, the Pragmatic Machinist doing a grinding project uh, yesterday, a very practical get-her-done project. Yes, so Chris says, Chris says the taste is fine, the texture is wrong. You're absolutely correct. But what a great anatomy lesson. So, if I, if I may, the heart meat from venison, uh, when fried up with some onions, is very good, very tasty. And it's, of course, a, a, a delicacy. You don't see it every day. But when you eat it, so you know, you know what your mouth says when you eat a piece of steak, right? And you have that, um, you know, the fibrous nature of, of, of the, the muscle, because you're, you're basically eating muscles. Um, and when you eat a piece of smooth muscle, which is what the heart is, you immediately know this is like totally different. And it is totally different. And it could be disconcerting for one's taste buds, apparently Chris's. Bart says, my shop is 5 degrees C these days. No isolation and 80% humidity. Cannot heat because of condensation problems. Yep, I understand. Bart is working on a frame base for the JNS 540 to improve stability. That's awesome. Um, yeah, K-Bonk understands. <laughs> he says, yum. Uh, yeah, I, I made the decision that 50 degrees Fahrenheit uh, was going to be the shop minimum, and that's worked out pretty good. So we don't, we don't have condensation problems. The second thing is, is that I, I think I said this last week, 
the way our heater works is it sucks in air from outside into the combustion chamber for the propane. It combusts, and then the exhaust goes outside, but the heat gets, gets uh, transferred into the shop. So there's no combustion product. There's no moisture coming into the shop. And that works. That works pretty good. But 50 degrees has seemed has seemed to be a very reasonable yet strangely cold <laughs> temperature, and it's an investment. And uh, temperatures today are only about 28 outside, 28 F. Um, so it's cold, but it's not crazy cold. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about your uh, 540 improving. That sounds that sounds awesome. Um, so, Chris, you, we still got to talk about artwork for your uh, laser engraving on your gauges, so we can get those done. K Bonk is making some fingers for your fingerless brake. So, <laughs> oh, so you have a brake that normally needs fingers, but you didn't get fingers with it. What steel are you using for your fingers? Um, a while back, I have a, uh, a, a Diacro 24-inch brake, and I have actually, thankfully, plenty of fingers. Um, but either, either I found out what they made them of or somebody recommended with uh, a metal, but the answer was 1045 steel, which is also called plow steel um, in the vernacular. So I'm curious what kind of steel you're making them out of. 1045 is not a, a terrible choice, especially if you're not going to harden them. My problem is that is the shop is so crowded at the moment uh, that if I'm going to use the brake, it's like a planning. I have to plan it way ahead, move things out of the way, roll it out from underneath the uh, um, pallet, pallet rack. Oh, you have a 12-inch di diacro. That's lovely. Uh, so we have cousins. <laughs> Just cold rolled. Sounds fine. Bart says his 540 is still on a wooden pallet because he had to move it around. Now he's making a steel base with machine feet. Still high enough to get a pallet jack underneath. That's excellent. Um, I bought these yellow... Uh, leveling feet. I forget what company makes them here in the United States, but they're made they're made in the U.S. And I had them on every machine that needed them. That was that was the feet, and that worked out really well. And they they had a little bit of vibration absorption. The the grinder, the lathe, and the mill are all on um, cast pucks, cast iron pucks. Brian says he did his fingers out of forty one forty. Fine choice, especially if you're not, you know, if, if it's a little uh, break. I don't think you need anything terribly fancy. Hey, uh, I'm going to go take a quick temperature check, and I'll be back. So the casting is up to 58, and the coolant is up to 57, and we'll see what happens. Yes, the yellow feet. Exactly, Bart. Uh... I don't remember the name of the company, but they're they're terrific. And I have uh, the Bridgeport is just is just sitting on the floor, so I don't have any sp <laughs> with a with a piece of aluminum wedged under one corner to stabilize it, and that's it. That's pretty. That's how fancy we got on the Bridgeport. Um, the uh, bandsaw is on a dolly that I made, and it has at each foot at each roller position or caster position, there's a hole for a screw jack. So I could, I could jack it up and put it on a hard base. 24 feet to go. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> yeah, they don't give those away either, do they? You were thinking about 3D printing some fingers. Actually, I don't see why that wouldn't work as long as you're not doing anything nutty. Uh, you'll find out soon enough. <laughs> Uh, would you report back, K-Bonk? I want a full report. 
And hey, how'd the, how'd the other printing project go? Did you ever make progress on that? I did a few prototypes for, uh, for K-Bomb. Anyway, so uh, the machine is coming up. The other thing I do, by the way, getting back to thermal issues, is I turn the mag chuck up to full, and then I dribble the coolant across, across the chuck while I'm, while I'm warming up, and I'm, I'm stealing some heat from the, uh, from the chuck and the room, and that seems to work out pretty good. So, um, if anybody has a, uh, a question for the hive mind, now's the time. Otherwise, I'll bring up a, this just in. <laughs> Kate Bonk says he went down a rabbit hole. I don't think any of us uh, have not been down said rabbit hole. We should probably get together when we're down in that rabbit hole. <laughs> Do they have a good place to eat down there? I'm not sure. All right, so uh, those of you who may have uh, met Conjet, my kiddo, uh, a couple of, a couple of uh, lives ago, she uh, is, is requesting help from the hive mind. She, <laughs> Sam wants to build me a set of battle axes. And she is seeking some advice. <laughs> Almost Machining says, I would put the grinder in an insulated room and good afternoon. Well, welcome aboard. I'll, I'll forgive your tardiness. Um, yeah, I don't have a, I can't, we can't get into that. If, if, something, if something happens and we move the shop to a different place, I, I could be convinced that that's a good idea. So uh, Conjet says, in, in, in seeking the solution for battle axes, <laughs> Chris, Chris, that's not nice. Chris says, battle axes? I'll send a picture of my mother-in-law. <laughs> oh, man. What? What's wrong? K Bonk is like is this is this is this bothering you that that uh, Sam wants to make me uh battle axes? I don't think you understand. This is this is how we roll around here. So here's the question for the hive mind from Conjet, who's uh who can be found on Instagram at conjet.art. Uh what does an engineer's or machinist's battle axe look like can you make one and a final question which only some of you are going to get whirlwind yes so uh, how would we make a battle axe pool <laughs> pool noodles no this is you must have us confused with with LARPers. We're not LARPing here. This is this is battle axes. This is we get to make a battle axe or a pair of battle axes, but we get to use it using modern available methods and techniques. Discuss. <laughs> and here's here's your inspiration. All right, how are we going to do this? Bart would forge them. Yes. You think I can get Windy Hill Foundry to uh, forge me some, some battle axe heads? Robert says Imperial battle axe or metric battle axe. You know, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I've, I've heard the Imperial march, but I've never heard the metric march. I'm just saying. <laughs> yes, K-Bond correctly points out that Starrett has battle axes in the special catalog. <laughs> oh, man. So do we forge them or do we... How about this? How about we forge a frame and then we do a tool steel 
uh, blade attach. So we do the blade and tool steel, the rest in, uh, in the casting. What do you think of that idea? And maybe that, you know, the, the frame of the head can have a little bit of, of uh, lightning holes to make it a little lighter. What do you think? I, I've been thinking about that, that the, the blade can be separate and attached with, with uh, many modern screws. Kevin says, weld carbon steel edge into a machined axe head and then grind. <laughs> Brian, Brian gives the, the job shop answer. Farm them out. <laughs> no. No, no, no. We could farm. Well, like I said, uh, you know, we could, we could farm out the, um, the casting. K-Bon carbide. Carbide. Kevin likes the speed holes idea. Hey, Aaron, welcome aboard, man. Your your tardiness is forgiven, as long as you help us solve this problem, which was, we need to we need to build a pair. Oops, we need to build a pair of battle axes here. So Sam wants to design them, especially you know from the aesthetic point of view. There we go. So Conjet is going to design these things, but we have to build them. So currently, the, the thought that we're kicking around is a casting for the head, which includes lightning holes, and then a separate blade attachment, which might be, I was thinking tool steel, but now K-Bonk has thrown, thrown the gauntlet right on the ground, carbide. Yeah, I, you know, I think I think you're right. I think uh, Robin did. Uh, I think silver solder some carbide into the into the mower blades, which is just glorious. Stock removal question mark. Um, Robert says titanium with carbon fiber handle. We haven't even gotten to the handle, so you're first in on the handle carbon fiber Chris correctly says that carbide is too brittle and I guess you could argue that it depends on the carbide Aaron says what's the scale we haven't figured out the scale but they're battle axes man and I'm six feet tall so you know sorry wrong hand got my battle axe it's this big I have no idea what battle axes, uh, what scale they should be. Now, I, I think I have to give you more information because I haven't like fully disclosed this, but my, my, my kiddos and, and myself, we play World of Warcraft. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh no, these are not tiny ones, baby. <laughs> this is full scale. One to one, Aaron. So, Bart says the world's highest toughness material, chromium uh, cobalt uh, nitride, which is what I just posted about yesterday. <laughs> if we had enough of that material to make, even to make these blades, I would be pretty happy about it. So, Aaron's in. So, uh, if, if you play World of Warcraft, and I'm not suggesting you start, I do not want that responsibility. But if you do play World of Warcraft, you can look up the character name Conjugator, and that's me. I think uh, I've been copied but uh, a couple of times, but those characters have faded away. So if you look up Conjugator, you'll find me. <laughs> so what do we have so far? We have a carbon fiber pole. I love that. We have a, a, a casting for the head. Windy Hill, right? And then we're talking about the blade. So we're arguing between uh, carbide and tool steel. I don't think we're going to get enough chromium cobalt nitride uh, of, of the flavor of, of recent posting. Chris says, what about pikes? You can't have a battle axe and not have a pike. 
what for putting heads upon. So were those, was those pikes, is that se that's separate from the battle axe or are you imagining it coming right off of the, uh, of the battle axe? I, that has to be separate, right? That has to be a separate item. You wouldn't, you wouldn't leave your pike somewhere and Aaron uh, says carbide would be expensive as hell. And what's wrong with that? Is there something wrong with that? <laughs> yep, it would be expensive. Oh, it's a separate item. Okay. We'll deal with the pikes separately. Oh, K-Bonk says ceramic holds a nice edge. Well, you're back into brittle territory, right? I think that I think that battle axe has to withstand smacking into some pretty hard stuff, so I'm not sure ceramic is a good idea. Hmm. Hmm. I think I like the idea of a, a nice blade that is grindable on the grinder so that a a you know the a curved a curved blade is gonna be a challenge. So I'm thinking I might wimp out and say a straight blade. Chris says, I'd use A2. I know a guy. Yes, you do. Alex Steele probably has them in stock, says Brian. Yeah, he probably does. So as, jumping, to the, jumping to the head, I would imagine, what if I 3D printed the, the pattern? I think this is the hot ticket now. 3D print the, print the pattern, ship it down to Windy Hill Foundry, and he could print off that pattern. And the, the glorious part of that is if, if he says, uh, you've got to make some changes to the pattern, you go back into the model, you make your changes, you hit print, and you get another, you get another pattern. I kind of like that idea. So what about the, uh, the carbon fiber? It may surprise you. <laughs> Bob Lab says McMaster has them too. Okay, if you guys go into McMaster and type battle axe, tell me what happens. Or battle axe head. That'd be pretty funny. So it, it, you guys may find this shocking because I don't think you know this about me, but about seven feet that way up on the uh, pallet rack is a bunch of carbon fiber. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Oh, metal 3D printing. Yeah, but I'd have to find somebody who's doing metal 3D printing, because I'm not. You think we could convince somebody with a metal 3D printer? I like that. Oh, Bart. Bart says, make one from old carbide inserts, one row of many inserts, the, then grind them into a shark tooth profile. You know what I have 20 feet that way? Or actually 15 feet that way? A box of random carbide inserts. Ooh, I like that. Tom Lipton outsourced some. Outsourced some... I lost the thread. Oh, some 3D printing? So, uh, um, metal. Yes, I remember Tom outsourcing uh, to one of the service bureaus. We don't want to use a service bureau. We could, we, could, we could find somebody in the hive mind here that does it. Yeah, Bart's got it, right? Let me grab this box. We'll see what's in it. Hang on. You know, you, you showed up for all the thermal control information and we're talking about battle axes. Yes, he did. I remember that. Random carbide, baby. You know, Chris, I don't know if you want to tell the story, Chris, but it's a remarkable coincidence because I played bass for random carbide back in the 80s. It's true. And Chris knows. Okay, so what do we have in here? 
Oh, we got some big juicy ones here. Look at these. Huh? Look, I mean, this is no fooling around, man. Look at the size of that thing. Look at these things. Oh, my God. What do you think? I have a pretty decent number of these. <laughs> okay, so, oh, here we go. Aaron says, battle axes are always a worthy conversation. I agree. What else we got in here? Got some, we got some plain old boring triangles. Listen, when I said random, I was not kidding. Well, we could probably fashion uh, at least one, if not two, battle axes out of uh, out of this. Very interesting. Oh, K-Bonk says you have some to donate. You're very kind. Well, I'll take them. <laughs> and these are these are truly random uh, that came from just well random places. And you know, you grab a piece to do to use on a project, but basically, I have no nothing going on here. So let me get my in-house artist thinking about these things. Brazed triangles. Hmm bolt on to replace after a battle so I, I i was digging the idea of a of a bolt on uh specifically for that reason you know you break them you replace them that would be awesome okay so i like that like maybe too much so uh yeah i'll put the call out So Aaron asks, do you guys know what a C-A-X is? S-E-A-X, perhaps it's spelled S-A-E-X. It's a Viking Age short sword. Also a super cool weapon. I would be very interested to hear about that. Yeah, Bart says he, he yields. He yields to the uh, bolted on ones. These, these drill tips, these Mongo ridiculous... I think these were an experiment and we're in a batch of stuff that I, I don't have too many of these, but those would be fierce. So, uh, I understand that carbide has scrap value, but if anybody wants to send me some for this project, I have no idea when we'll actually get this going. So if you, if you like your inserts, you can keep your inserts, but if you want to send them along, I'd be happy to take them. With the guarantee, of course, that they're not being used for profit. They're being used for ridiculous. And I will, uh, I will review this with, uh, with Sam, also known as Conjet.art. You guys are out of control. Well, we're actually approaching the top of the hour. And um, thank you for your input on the battle axes. I will have a design review meeting uh, with my artist right after this broadcast and we will make something happen. So, uh, any other topics? Any, anything else we could solve today? This was, this was huge. Thank you very much. Who's texting me? Aaron. Oh, Aaron sent me a uh, website. Cool. I will check it out, buddy. <laughs> We've been talking about this for literally for years, making making battle axes, because you know we got we could do this. All right, so uh, floor is open for any topics, any questions, and uh, any complaining. The virtual foundry is selling stainless filament. Have have borosilicate too? Haven't tried it. Wow. I don't even know what to say. 
stainless filament. So um, it would be very interesting because I haven't done fiberglass work in a very long time. It would be very interesting to try to get a, uh, to lay up my own uh, carbon fiber handle. I'm thinking that that would be a, uh, a core wrapped, saturated, and that would be it. In other words, no, no, uh, it wouldn't be hollow. It would have a filler. Check the website, the virtual foundry. Okay, I'll take that as homework. And I got Aaron's homework too. Got your homework. Oh, Aaron says, I'm going to buy a surface grinder soon. Torn between Mitsui, Parker Majestic, and Parker Majestic. Okay, no Okamoto? I'm not, I'm not pushing, but I'm just asking. K-Bonk says, please use epoxy. Uh, K-Bonk, my butt used to sit in a glider <laughs> at many feet. So uh, I know how to make aircraft. I will not make it like a surfboard. I promise, okay? <laughs> he, was get, he was all worried that I was going to make a surfboard. It's not a surfboard. I, I, I totally get it. So, uh, very interesting, Aaron. So, we'll have to have that discussion. Maybe we'll have you, Aaron, how about we have you on as a guest next week and we talk about your grinder purchase. What, would that be a good idea? You're, you're on my list. All right. Well, anytime you get to buy a new machine is, is just awesome. Oh, so Aaron clarifies. He says, this is just for a used slash rebuilt manual. Maybe Okamoto for a CNC next. Got it. I think any one of those for a manual machine would be glorious. Pretty cool. Question to get back to heat... Heat and coolant. Do, do the stones also grow with heat when grinding? Yes. I have not measured their coefficient of thermal expansion. Um, but every material does. In, in fact, if the stones did not grow with temperature, we would be getting a Nobel Prize. So, no, it's, it's not. The question is, what, what are the... So, a stone is mostly aluminum oxide, and I did look up... I don't have it in front of me, but I did look up the uh, coefficient of expansion uh, of aluminum oxide. It wasn't crazy out of, you know, it, way, way out of the ballpark. It was, it was right in there, but I don't remember the number. Okay, Aaron says, sure. Okay, let's, let's, let's do that, Aaron. We'll just, we'll just do it. <laughs> No wishy-washy uh, decision-making here. Next week, we'll figure it out. Uh, we'll have you on as a guest. Now, as all of you know, the reason we came to YouTube only is so that we can do this, so that we can have, uh, you know, we can show pictures, we can have guests, and we can do this sort of stuff. Still doing it live, and uh, we'll do that. So expect that uh, next week, Aaron, and... Um, I don't know which tool we'll use. It could be, uh, we'll probably zoom you in or something. We'll figure it out. But now that we know how to do it, we're dangerous. <laughs> I, might, I might do it from upstairs uh, where I have a more powerful computer. So then we could have, we could test it there. So if we have multiple guests, I think I would choke this computer. Yeah, no, uh, Bart, you're you're absolutely right. So, Bart, let let me let me give you a thought experiment. If the if the grinding wheel and the stones and all the stuff in the kinematic loop had the same coefficient of thermal expansion, 
the only place, the only thing you have to worry about is from the top of the work, draw a line on the column, and then from the bottom of the wheel, go over, draw a line on the column, and then that's the length you have to worry about. Because otherwise, if you had, you know, if you have the grinding wheel touching, touching the work, touching the chuck, and, and the whole kinematic loop had the exact same coefficient of thermal expansion, your error would be zero. I think that's true. Yeah, that, that's true. So it's a, in reality, it's a more complicated problem than I'm leading it, than I'm explaining it as, but that's engineering. This is the first pass. I know it's more complicated. Okay, Aaron, you're on. You are on my calendar. Okay, we're at the top of the hour. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, overstay my welcome. I want to say thanks to everybody who checked in. This was kind of fun. Uh, we reported on thermal stuff. I showed you some of the results we're getting. Uh, success. Uh, I'm going to go practice what I preach with with the uh, with the heaters. Uh, and then we had a fun talk about solving a problem which is necessary and that was a lot of fun too so have a great week everyone and we'll see you uh i don't see any impediment to having the same uh, bad time same bad channel next week possibly from the office and not from the shop which i don't think is going to hurt anything but that will allow us to uh, have a more powerful computer so have a great week if anybody has any questions uh topics that you want to discuss just shoot me a dm and uh, we'll be happy to, uh, to put that on the agenda at some point. Happy Sunday. Go have some fun. We'll catch you later.